Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip-and-zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We've got a great episode in store for you. I had the chance to catch up with Jeremy and Dimitri of the Antler Up podcast. Uh, Guys, if you haven't heard of Antler Up, they're kind of new to the Sportsman's Empire podcast network. The guys are putting out very, very high quality content. And I wanted to have them on today to talk specifically about hunting the rut in the big wood. You know, a lot of information that's out there is geared towards the guy in the Midwest, but the way you approach the rut in the big woods is a little bit different than how you might do it in a more farmland kind of setting. So uh, very good conversation today. We talk about uh, all day hunts. We talk about terrain features. We talk about, you know, buck activity. We talk about when's time to cut ties with an area and move on to something else. So lots to learn in this episode. So you might want to grab a pen. Uh, you can pick up a lot from these guys. Also go check them out. Uh, antlerupoutdoors.com and then obviously here on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. If you're subscribed to that, you'll catch the Antler Up podcast as well. Before we jump into the show, however, I've got a couple of housekeeping things. First of all, if you would, please do me a favor and go leave this show a review. Uh, If you can leave a written review, that would be awesome. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Also, if you can give us a follow on Instagram, I would appreciate that a lot. I'm going to be documenting my Uh, hunting excursions here over the next couple of weeks as uh, my rutcation ramps up at the end of October and heading into November. Now, last but not least, go show our partners some love. I've got some fantastic partners who have decided to believe in this show and support it. And uh, it would mean a lot to me if you'd go and support them as well. First of all, Tacticam, they're the title sponsor of this show. They make the best point of view cameras for outdoorsmen. If you've been thinking about filming your hunts, a Tacticam point of view camera is the simplest way to get into doing that. Tacticam 6.0 and Solo Extreme cameras can help you capture your memories from the field so that you can relive them just like you're back in the moment and so that you can share them with family and friends. Now their new 6.0 camera features 4K, 60 frame per second footage, 8X zoom, a touchscreen display, one touch operation, uh, and it's all in a compact and durable waterproof package. They've also got a a stabilizer mount that mounts to the front of your bow. They've got mounts for your rifle. They've got everything you need to get your hunts filmed and shared with those that you love. Now you can learn more about the 6.0, the Solo Extreme, and Tacticam's full line of products at Tacticam.com. Go pick one up today and start sharing your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth is making durable camo without the sticker shock. This year I'm wearing the Tarnan pattern. Uh, hunting in the piney hills of the southeast and in the farmland mosaic of the Midwest. And I have confidence that this pattern is going to perform great no matter the setting. Now, I just had the opportunity to get my hands on a couple of pieces from their heat boost line. And guys, let me tell you, this stuff is 
warm. I got the Saskatoon pants, the Saskatoon jacket, the Saskatoon vest, and oh my goodness, this stuff is really, really warm. I was wearing it around just the other day. A cold front blew through here in Georgia, and uh, man, it was too it was too warm. Like I needed I needed to take them off. So really looking forward to wearing those during the rut in Wisconsin. Also, they've got great base layers. Like if you're in the market for some base layers this year, go check those out. You can find all of their products at HuntworthGear.com. And then finally, Deer Lab, they are the number one app for hunters and land managers. They help you store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera intel so that you can make data-driven decisions as you target your buck this fall. Just recently, I got a picture of a really nice deer in a spot on uh, public land in southern Wisconsin. And uh, I'm pretty sure it's a deer from last year. And I know that because I've got all my stuff stored away in Deer Lab. Now, if he keeps to his pattern, I think from November 4th through the 8th or 9th or so, I'm probably going to have a real good chance of getting this deer. And using Deer Lab has helped me keep all of my images uh, organized enough to know where they're at so I can go back and find that historical data. Now, you can go to their website and get a free trial today for 30 days, no credit card required go to deerlab.com when you're ready to purchase use the code hunt deer you'll get 20 percent off of any of their plans now let's get into this week's show with jeremy and dimitri from the antler up podcast all right joining me for this week's episode of the how to hunt deer podcast i've got jeremy and dimitri from the antler up podcast what's up guys how's it going man going good going pretty good it's uh good to have you guys on you guys are kind of uh some of the newbies to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. So why don't we kick things off just by you guys telling us a little bit about who you are and your podcast and kind of the unique space that that occupies uh, as part of the content that we're putting out as a network. Sure. You want So my name's Dimitri. Um, I grew up here in central Pennsylvania uh, pretty much my whole life. Uh, kind of been a, a homer to Pennsylvania and central PA. Uh, so grew up hunting very traditional story of, you know, my, my dad and my grandfather and, um, which were more rifle hunters, uh, back in the day, which is kind of the PA tradition, uh, growing up as most people, uh, would be familiar to, but, um, you know, loved hunting, couldn't wait. I was that, you know, we couldn't hunt till we were 12. So I was that, you know, little kid that would sit by the window and just wait till your, you know, your dad or, you know, the, any of my uncles would come back, especially during that first day of rifle season and couldn't wait to participate and, you know, hit the ground running when I was 12 and, um, going out actually with a weapon in my hand. Uh, but so I always loved hunting and, and, uh, really enjoyed it and then really took on archery, you know, um, when I was 12 and, you know, enjoyed that more than anything. Um, but now, uh, you know, I'm a physical therapist, so, you know, I like to incorporate that into my, to my hunting and, um, you know, preparing and, and doing things that, that make me a better hunter in, in the fitness aspect as well. So, you know, just learning every, every, every day and, and, you know, podcasting and, and, you know, listening to other podcasts, I, I think in the last three or four years has really helped me grow as a hunter. And, and, um, you know, every year I feel like I get better and I just try to learn and educate myself and doing the podcast. I feel, you know, more selfish than anything. Cause I feel like, you know, I get in, uh, things out of it more than anybody because, you know, that's what I want to learn. You know, things are questions I ask or, you know, things that I want to get better at, and, you know, so I feel like it helps other people as well. And yeah. It's, that's it's awesome. very, edu- yeah, it's very educational based, just kind of like going off of what Dimitri said. I mean, 
you know, like you said, he's a physical therapist, but also has a teaching degree uh, background. And so do I, and that's what I do. I'm an educator. So the two of us kind of coming together, we've all, like Dimitri said, we've always listened to podcasts and there are always things that, you know, you might get a once in a blue moon of topics that we would be able to talk, like kind of put in, in the work and, and actually use and utilize. So we were like, Hey, let's, let's do this. So, you know, like I said, it's very educational based. It's, you know, like Dimitri said, it's even selfish because there are topics and ideas that maybe we want to learn and grow about and talk to these guys that have been very successful doing it and you know, how can we learn? But then it, it's also a great avenue for others to hopefully have the same kind of questions and they get something out of it as well. So that's where it's kind of grown into. I feel like that's our niche and uh, we've really enjoyed doing that. And hopefully we could continue to, you know, learn and grow. And the thing about education is that, you know, obviously there's always the tried and true, but there's always, always, you know, more learning that could, you know, get better at and do. Yeah, man, the, the, the conversations that you get to have with people over in a podcast format where you get to have like the, the longer format rather than just a soundbite. And it's not just a quick three-step article, you know, three steps to killing a deer during the rut kind of thing where you can really uh, flesh out some topics, man. I, that's been my favorite part about podcasting and also the, just the people that you get to talk to. I mean, it's, it's a great excuse. So guys, if you want to have a good excuse to talk to a lot of people, start a podcast uh, no, I'm kidding. Don't, don't start a podcast. There's enough of them out there right now. Just listen to the good ones like antler up and how to hunt deer. Yeah, There you go. <laughs> There's plenty of them out there. So guys, why don't you tell me a little bit about, uh, your hunting setting specifically? Like what's the, what's the terrain like? Is it big woods? Is it ag land? Is it a mix of the two? Like, what does that look like? I would say it's mainly big woods, uh, very, you know, rugged mountain terrain features, uh, especially where, you know, I kind of like what Dimitri said earlier, growing up, I kind of grew up in the same, uh, style, you know, kind of same upbringing when it comes to hunting just in Northeastern Pennsylvania, big woods hunting. And, uh, it's, you know, it's the one thing that we, when we say about like why we started the podcast and everything, and it's just so funny to, in a good way to listen to how guys in the Midwest like hunt, because there are things that we're able to, to incorporate, but then there's things that are just totally opposite. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, that's the challenging part. Like when I would hear about like food sources and all that type of stuff, it's like, man, when there's no acorn crop drop going on this year, it's like they're browsing. That is their food. Yeah. It's like a hot browse compared to knowing they're coming to the field and doing this and doing that. It's, you know, so that's always been a challenge. And, uh, one thing that I've noticed so far too this year, not that I forgot, but it's one of those things where it's a head scratcher because like you were saying, Josh earlier, like, when it, and we we're talking about off air about like hunting specific winds and stuff, man, the, when it's, I think so far every application, whether it be a, a deer hunting app or a weather app at the wind's been wrong, like every single time. <laughs> uh, and it's, just, you know, you scratch your head cause you're, you're, you're game planning, right? Like you have these opportunities. You're like, okay, there it is. That's the right wind that I need. I'm going to get in there and it's going to be good for maybe three hours and you get in there and it's a total opposite wind. And you're like, wow, what, you know what I mean? And you hike back there or whatever. And, checking the wind as you go. So yeah, man, it's, it's big woods mountain. It's in uh, it's challenging. It's fun. And it's, uh, you know, it's why, why you love it, I guess. Yeah. I, I sympathize with, with that quite a bit. You know, you guys growing up hunting kind of a big woods scenario. I grew up in the deep South and I, I think there are a lot more similarities than, than yeah. maybe we've talked about uh, as far as like the, the big pine plantations and stuff of the deep South. 
compared to, you know, something like up in Pennsylvania, Big Woods, um, you know, grew up, same thing, listening to all these guys in the Midwest. And it's like, whoa, this is, what do you mean destination food source? Like we, we've got, we've got some uh, quarter acre food plots planted and some oak trees that drop acorns every now and then. So, you know, destination food source, that, that means nothing to me. Um, but yeah, man, good stuff. So let's jump in and talk a little bit about uh, the rut specifically as it relates to, to Big Woods. Cause I think uh, this is one of those areas, right? Where you get online and you start Googling, how, you know, hunting during the rut. Well, all this stuff pops up and it's all related to the Midwest. You know, it's all about how to hunt farmland. And it's like, you know, get on the fence rows, you know, or get just downwind of where, you know, all the does are bedding. And it's like, well, what if I hunt 3000 acres of big woods and the does might bed here one day and the next day they may be, you know, half a mile that direction. We have no idea. So I wanted to have you guys on talk a little bit about, you know, this big woods setting. Give me a little bit of context first, kind of about your hunting style specifically. Um, you know, how would you describe your specific style? Cause like you said, there's a lot of tried and true out there. There's a lot of new methods coming out. You know, we, we see things come and go kind of in waves. So tell me a bit about how you guys hunt and kind of tackle the woods. So growing up, I, I mean, I would feel like I've always been uh, a mobile hunter uh, basically my whole life because talking about when I was 12, um, going out into the woods and, and early archery hunting, you know, my dad bought me a, a climber tree stand and that's kind of how he hunted. You know, we didn't really have, we had a couple, you know, wooden stands and that's back when, when I was young, we, people were still making those kind of ladder stands that are, that were wood, right. And you'd hunt, carry that thing down, you know, into a chunk of uh, land that you were able to, and you would, you would hang that up. And that was more kind of your rifle stand, uh, than anything and didn't really archery hunt out of that. So, uh, you know, the, the, kind of the climber tree stand was getting popular, uh, at that time. And, and, you know, my dad got me that and that's what I used basically, um, probably until two years ago, two years ago. Yep. And then I finally got into the saddle. So I've kind of hunted similar, similar, uh, my whole hunting career, I would say, you know, so I never was really that one person that was, you know, I might go to a specific area, but I not, might not be getting in the same tree all the time. So I would constantly, you know, bounce around the big woods and, and, uh, hunting different areas. Man, I, I got to insert a, a funny little story. So again, growing up in the deep South, uh, I obviously had a climber cause pine trees are wonderful for climbers down there. Um, but I was always a, you know, listening to what, what the guys were saying, you know, hang your stands in, you know, July and August so that, you know, the woods can rest and all that. And you show up and you hunt it and it's great. Uh, my dad went in one day to a brand new spot he'd never been into. He went in in the dark, picked a tree, climbed the tree, and he shot a buck that morning. And I was so shocked. I was like, how do you go into a brand new area and just shoot a buck your first time ever in there? Like that blew my mind, but it was the first time that really got me thinking like, okay, this, there, there might be something to that. I think I was probably 17, 18, something like that, but it just absolutely blew my mind. So Dimitri, what kind of saddle are you hunting out of? Just out of curiosity. Uh, the tethered child saddle, the phantom saddle. Okay. Gotcha. Did you hunt out of the mantis as well, or just the phantom? Nope. Just the phantom. So okay. last year was my first year in the saddle. Yeah. Okay. And you, I, I, you I'll, saved I'll yourself some heartache there with the, with the, I hunted out of a man as, since, since they came out until this year. So it was tough on the behind. 
I'll even say too, just, uh, kind of just because Dimitri is a, um, you know, very athletic built guy. Uh, you know, you're what, six, six, one, six, one, uh, played linebacker at, at Maryland and Annabelle back in the day, but he's also running the, the phantom, like just the sole regular phantom. Like when you, I like, he's an individual maybe that you would look at and say like, Hey, that XL probably in a sense, but he runs the, the regular size and, uh, yeah, so it's, it, you know, that's, uh, just a kind of little tidbit to, you know, just, if you had the opportunity to, to hit a teach and train tour or a expo or something like that, see which one fits. Because even though, like I said, he's six one, I'm five seven, depending on if I'm wearing the solitude kit, I actually prefer the XL size, uh, phantom just because of the, it's more, you know, material that's going to cover my butt. So just a little kind of snippet of that. Yeah, that that phantom really changed things with the uh, with the channels, you know, yep. the, the comfort channels. I think for me that was that was kind of a huge step uh, with the mantis. It always felt like it was riding up, and I always had trouble with it. Now I eventually kind of DIY'd my own, you know, channels before they introduced the phantom, so I was able to make it work for a little bit longer. But but yeah, you're right. Something with a little more material, I feel like, is uh, is a little bit better for me. And I'm built more like you. I'm five foot seven, so yep. not there's not necessarily a whole bunch of me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hanging, hanging up in the tree. So Jeremy, tell me about your, uh, your hunting style. Yeah, kind of the, really the, the same, uh, as, as Dimitri said, and, you know, kind of going down those sketchy, uh, old school wooden, uh, you know, tree stands. And like Dimitri said, they were kind of like your rifle stand. Like that's where you're going to go. Like right, you know, the day after, uh, uh, you know, Thanksgiving and everything here in Pennsylvania, that ho- that holiday weekend basically. And, uh, you know, as, as, things progressed. It went from the climber to the hang ons and to the saddles. And now I'll, I'll never go back. I mean, I would rather, you know, if you were like, Hey, come hunt my property. I have a couple ladder stands or things like that set up for you. I mean, I'm, if it's a good spot and I would like to hunt out of that specific tree, I would climb, you know, climb the ladder, but then I'd usually, I would hook up my, my saddle for sure. And I actually have done that on a friend's property just because it's just, I find it one so much more comfortable and it, it just, it, it has opened up a lot more shot opportunities. Uh, you know, I know people argue about that 360 degrees around the, you know, a tree, but I mean, you give yourself a really good opportunity that you might not get in a, you know, fixed elevated, you know, normal hang on stand or a climbing stand. Yeah. After switching to the saddle, if you go climb up in a ladder stand or something, don't you just feel like you're just hanging out in the middle of nowhere and everything in the woods can see you? <laughs> yeah. Like it's well, and I feel like the saddle, I mean, coming from like a PT aspect is, you know, you, in a, a regular tree stand, you have two positions you can be in. You can either be sitting in the seat. So depending on the size, you, you know, whatever position and whatever angle your back and your legs are at, either have that position or you have standing, right? And that's the only two positions you can be, whether you're just hunting for a couple hours or you're doing an all day sit. So you're putting all that stress and that load on your low back and your legs and, you know, in those two positions and you can't really transition. What I've found is in the saddle, you basically can be almost in that sitting position or almost straight standing or anything in between. So you're kind of changing where that pressure point is, uh, on your back. So your back and your legs aren't going to get as sore. You know, I like to stand. So uh, in the saddle, I'm almost not quite standing, but I'm just, I'm taking enough pressure off my back and my legs that I feel comfortable. Right. Um, but then you can transition in that hunt, you know, kind of lower that, um, tether down and, and you can be in a more seated, seated position or a more standing and, and kind of change throughout the hunt, which makes you more comfortable. So if you have back problems, 
um, you know, you're going to be able to hang out in that stand a lot longer than when you're kind of in that preset stand. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So let's transition now kind of into specifically with the rut being guys that come from a big wood setting. Uh, how do you feel about hunting the rut? I know there's a lot of debate. Some guys are like, man, you know, early October, mid October, that's my time. I don't really want to mess around with the rut too much because I'm chasing specific deer. Other guys are like, I don't hunt until it's the rut. You know, I I just don't even waste my time. So where are you guys at on that scale? Man, I would say for the last, you know, couple years, it's, I mean, we hunted October and it was like, Hey, if we have a, a deer, you know, opportunity, fantastic. Let's rip it. Because I would, I could probably go out on a limb and say like, we haven't had a specific deer we were hunting, you know, just hunting public land here in central PA, uh, you know, going back at home in Northeast PA for me, like on that private land, some of those big bucks really don't start showing up until Halloween. So, you know, like you might get them in the summer and then they're gone and then they come back during the rut basically, as, you know, kind of historically of, is what has shown. So, I mean, for me and I would say for Dimitri, we've really like that rutcation is when we, Hey, when it's nuts, we got to find it and, and get in there. Yeah. When do you guys try to take that rutcation? If that's kind of a set time for you. Now for, for us, which is what we've noticed in the kind of the, the areas that, that we hunt is probably kind of that November, what the 10th 10. to maybe the 15th, um, somewhere in there. I, I, we just feel like we've hunted anywhere from, you know, obviously the beginning of November to the end of archery, which is around kind of the 18th to the 20th, yep. depending on the year. Um, but what we found is, is the best route activity that we have in our location is that kind of that 10th through the 15th where they're really seeking and chasing those does, you know, that typical time frame that, you know, everyone loves to hunt the, the fifth, the, the sixth, the seventh, you know, obviously we still kind of just see that kind of that cru- cruising yeah. phase or younger, younger bucks, younger are bucks chasing, but yeah. we don't really see those mature, mature bucks showing up. Um, really pushing those does until that time frame. So we feel like a lot of the, the does in our area are going into heat in that time frame. And we've been kind of focusing our rutcations on that. And I feel in the last two or three years, we've had uh, a lot of success and a lot of encounters with mature bucks at that time frame. Yeah. Yeah. I, in hunting in Wisconsin has been, has been kind of eye opening for me. So I know a lot of guys that have really good pieces of public um, that they're planting food on and they get familiar with the bucks on and they're holding bucks kind of on their property. And it seems pretty consistent that for those guys that have that kind of situation, that last week of October is kind of their favorite time. That's when the bucks start hitting their food sources. That's when the bucks are consistent on their scrapes or mock scrapes or whatever. And then after that, all bets are off and things kind of unravel. Hunting on public land specifically though, where I don't have, you know, nice little kill plots tucked back in the timber, uh, it seems like the 5th through like the 12th, 14th, 15th is really when I see the best action. So I think that's so situation specific, you know, and I I think if you've got a nice piece of property that you have groomed and you've got deer that you're kind of somewhat holding on that property, then then maybe your peak time is going to differ from a guy that's out there trying to get it done on public. Yeah, I'll kind of even build upon that, just go, you know, that was, I think we could say very specific to our area here where Demetri and I live in central Pennsylvania. And then, you know, you go back at home in Northeast PA 
that those last couple days of October, it's been, I would love to see historical data because I can remember certain years when obviously maybe the, the weather's right and just the conditions are lining up, whether it be food services or food uh, sources and uh, cold fronts, that type of stuff, man, like you said, Josh, like that end of October is like primo. You know what I mean? Like yep. you're going to yep. have a your buck opportunity. And then, then you would see it kind of die off for a couple of days and kind of exactly what Dimitri and you said, it's, you know, starting like that seventh, eighth, you know, on, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be running and last two years or yeah, two years ago, I would say around that early November, I was able to go in and like, it was dead back in Northeast PA. And then I went in like that next week later, uh, we would have Sunday hunting and, uh, it, it was, it was on fire, you know, and it was in that early teens, like 12th and 13th. And it was kind of like what it is this year for us. It's the 13th is a Sunday. Uh, so it's, you know, it, it's funny to see how, you know, certain areas of Pennsylvania, I, I do think, you know, and I mean, and it could even still even be in central PA, maybe here in where we live and over on one side of the mountain, the, the does are in estrus and it's running wild and over in state college area, it's kind of like hit or miss, you know? Yeah. And you just, you just alluded to something that I, I want you guys to touch on a little bit. Uh, the big woods are intimidating for, for lots of different reasons. Uh, low deer density being, being one of them, right? And, and the deer not being evenly spread across the landscape. You know, you have these pockets of deer. Now, what that means is for the guy that's going out on public trying to have success during the rut specifically is he can go in there and have the best hunt of his life or he could go in there and not see a single deer for five days straight. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're not on the rutting activity in the right pocket of deer, you can be like, the rut's not even a thing. Like the deer here aren't breeding at all. Like it's just not happening. You know what I mean? And, nope. and it can just be crickets for you. So, um, you know, when you guys, where do you begin when you approach these big, vast pieces of, of, of big woods? Like, or where do you start when it comes to, you know, making your plans for the rut? Now, this is one thing I would say that growing up and, and, and I really struggled with just because, you know, when it got to that rut time frame, you're just kind of, you know, trying to pick out what the best spots that, that you're trying to hunt. And, and in the last couple of years, I feel like I've done a lot better job and had more success in encounters during the rut. Um, but I wasn't doing anything crazy or, you know, technical, but I think for me is, you know, I get, I get a lot of stress when it comes closer to the rut, just because the, the days are ticking down and you only have, you know, maybe your rutcation and a couple sits left and maybe you didn't put something down or haven't had a good encounter with a buck yet. So, you know, you, you spend a lot of time away from your family. So, you know, the kind of the rut is, you know, one, it's great because we get excited about it, but two, it can be really stressful because it might be your last opportunity, you know, um, at a bucket, especially here in PA and archery, you can hunt after, you know, um, Christmas, but that hunting gets really tough and it gets really cold. Yeah. And if you don't have good food sources. So, you know, but the, the thing that I've done the last couple of years is, is when it gets closer, uh, to the right is what I'm doing is, is some of my scouting is I'm all I'm focusing on is where are those does, right? You know, I'm not even really worried about, um, you know, buck sign or scrapes or rubs when you get into the peak of the rut, I am focusing on where did I see the highest concentration of those and, you know, where, where are they betting at? And that's what I've really been focusing on these last two or three years, even like 
the Sunday before my rutcation. We can't hunt here in PA on Sunday. So I take that to, uh, to my advantage of going out and doing a scouting day um, before for that time frame. And, you know, I would walk these ridges and, and kind of, you know, if I bounced out four or five does, you know, I felt that it was a good thing, right? I kind of knew where they were bedded. I knew where they were at. And then that way, when I came in for the rut, um, I'm going to try to maybe hunt some of those areas. Right. And then once I start hunting, I'm trying to look, where is the hot doe, right? Where's that action at? So, you know, bouncing around some of these concentrated doe areas and trying to figure out, um, which one's hot and which one's going to bring in some, a lot of that action. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So tell me a little bit more about the, you know, the kind of the role of fresh sign. Cause I've heard a lot of guys who are, who are consistent rut killers, say kind of the same thing. Like once things break loose, I'm really not paying attention to rut sign very much. So maybe you guys can just speak to like, you know, is is there buck sign that gets you excited during the rut or is it kind of just like, man, I'm, I'm really just focusing on the does right now. I would say for me, I'm, I'm like 60, 40. I'm really kind of going off of the doe intel. Uh, and that 40% is if you do see that fresh buck sign, you know, hopefully that could be a buck that moved in, in the area that's kind of seeking for those does and, uh, all that type of stuff. Kind of like what Dimitri said, using that Sunday to your advantage of going out there and scouting. And, you know, I kind of, to build off of exactly what he said is, you know, not only hopefully too, like you're keeping tabs on how often the doe use that, those, that specific terrain feature. Like if you just randomly see like one doe there, it's, you know, in one random spot, you know, hopefully it's a spot where maybe you know they continuously go and kind of like how I use that historical data back at home in Northeast PA. Like I know on the one side of the mountain, like where the travel corridor is and it's, you know, where it's thick cover and how they maneuver. And, you know, if you're in the right position in the right time, like you are going to see a buck and hopefully it's a shooter or, you know, something along those lines. So, I mean, when it comes to that freshest sign, I'm, I'm looking for if it's around big thick cover and it is, you know, that you see the, sh- the shards of the tree on the ground and that was just freshly made, like, you know, and there might be a scrape nearby or something along those lines. Like I'm even now keeping tabs on, like, I love seeing when a doe hits a scrape, you know, middle of October, if they just continuously hit that scrape. I know, you know, little, I, I, I don't mean to backtrack, but like that little bit of free rut time, like seeking and all that type of stuff man, you know, a buck's going to come by and hit that, you know? So it's, there are little things like that, but I mean, I'm big, big, big on trying to find where those doe are, uh, and where that funnel is going to bring them, especially like in the mornings, you know, if it's going back to bedding and midday, because if you're, you know, if you're nearby that area and you, you know, you, you haven't seen the deer come through and, you know, maybe no shot opportunity that midday is, going to be either really good because that buck maybe finished breeding might go get something to eat or check somewhere else for another doe and or it's another buck's going to come through because it's right on that trail where those other deer just came through so that's that's kind of what i'm really focusing in on as well yeah yeah and two years ago um i i found an area that was just lit up with scrapes and rubs and all kinds of stuff and so i hunted that area a good bit and it was it was kind of close to some doe bedding that i that i knew about and I didn't see a whole lot in that area. So I'm like, man, I got to leave this. I'm going to swing around the downwind side tomorrow and get to the downwind side of this bedding area for these does. And I get in there and I climb in the dark and I, I've never, you know, really 
scouted that area, at, you know, with the exception of off-season scouting. So I get in there, and the sun comes up. I don't see any rubs. I don't see any scrapes. I see nothing except for doe trails coming out of this bedding area. And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be this is going to be a quiet day, you know, because there's no sign around. I saw almost 400 inches of antler that morning. Yeah, uh, I had a smaller eight point that I missed. I had a 150 plus just come blowing past me so fast that I couldn't even couldn't even pick up my bow. Yeah, you just gotta say, "Hey, what's going on?" Yeah, I was like, all right, but that was, that was cool to see you. So I, then I pick up my grunt tube and I start grunting at him, trying to get him to turn around maybe and come back and look. And another older older buck, but smaller, you know, 140 class deer comes running out of the bedding area like looking for a fight. I'm like, oh my goodness, like. And all of this happened in a, in a spot where you would look at it and be like, there's no scrapes, there's no rubs, there's, there's nothing in here. Why would I, why would I hunt here? Well, I, the, the sign, on, you know, 200 yards to the north told me there are good bucks in here. But being downwind of a doe bedding area kind of trumped it all that, on that specific, that specific morning, you know. And, yep. and I think what had happened, I think that older buck had run that bigger buck out of that bedding area. I think the older buck was in there. The, the younger but bigger buck probably went in checking it out, and that's why he ran past me doing Mach 5, you know, trying, trying to get the heck away from that, from that other deer. But, and that's why when I grunted, he was like, I don't care. <laughs> like I, 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 want, I want nothing to do with your noises. Uh, so tell me a little bit about, you mentioned terrain features, you know, does being on specific terrain features. What are the terrain features or edge types that you guys are trying to key in on you know, when it comes to looking for, you know, looking for those does that are going to be coming into estrus. So a lot of times that we're seeing is these does bending on kind of the ridge tops and, and, and we're hunting kind of, um, you know, steep ridges, uh, that kind of have some benches across the top. Uh, we deal a lot with mountain laurel. Um, which, which has a lot of, um, concentrated bedding inside of that. So, you know, that's, that's where a lot of these does are kind of in similar positions that, that the bucks would be. So that's not like, you know, um, a lot of the doe beddings down below and, you know, some of these areas, they, they're either clear cuts or they've been timbered. Um, so you got a lot of does that are bedding in some of those blowdowns and, and treats at those tops. Um, so that's kind of where they're concentrated. So, you know, um, we're kind of seeing them on these benches, you know, the same places you would see the, the bucks and, you know, that's the same kind of travel corridor that these bucks are going to cruise on. And, and even going into the rut, you think about, um, you know, the low density of the, the big woods population, does the bucks never really transition out of the cruising phase, right? Even when they're in the rut, once they kind of, even if it's a mature buck and breed a doe and he kind of transitioned into the next doe, you know, he still has to travel quite a bit to, to find that next doe, right? You know, cause the, the doe density is not very high. So they never really go out of that cruising phase. So, you know, some of these benches and, and pinch points and different bridges that they're going to have to travel to kind of get to that next, uh, the doe looking for, you know, he still has to kind of do that, that similar routine, um, and just, finding those areas that they, they want to transition in and out of. And that's kind of how I killed my buck last year is, is knowing where, you know, the doe bedding was and, and, you know, he was a totally different buck that wasn't from the area and we never had pictures. We had several cameras in there and never had them once. Um, and I ran cameras from, you know, the beginning of summer past the rut 
and he never showed up on one. Wow. Wow. Do you, do you think that that's a bit of an advantage when it comes to uh, hunting in a low deer density area? You know, when the, the bucks just have to look a little bit more and look a little bit harder and travel a little bit further. I think it does. I, I mean, I, I think that they're kind of force them to be on their feet more, or, you know, go and seek those, those does a little bit. I do, but do think that gives you a little bit more of daylight, uh, advantage to some of these bucks, especially in the morning and, you know, early afternoon that they have to go and, and travel when they're really seeking, um, and trying to hit different doe population. And I mean, I can stress the whole, I think a lot of people by now know, like, especially when it comes to the rut, like that midday could be just, you know, you're a, such a great time to kill a buck. I think that's, you know, not a secret anymore per yep. se. Yep. Uh, you know, and I think that is where it, you really got to, man, if you're, if you're in it, right. And you know of, uh, a good opportunity where doe are going to be bedding or like where a buck would like to take a doe outside of like real thick cover, you know, and then where like other doe are m- traveling through, like you might have another hot doe that came through the night before on a different trail or something along those lines where that deer is done breeding. He might go get something to eat. I think back to two years ago, Dimitri, when we had all that, or was that three, all the rut craziness up here two years ago. And there was a buck that I know Dimitri saw and a little bit later on I had, I think it was probably the same buck because he came down the mountain a little bit away from me, but it was on a different trail that I know I seen deer on earlier that morning, kind of go up the mountain. And I kind of called to him and he came into about like 50, 40 yards. And then at, at one point he just obviously didn't not see another buck. So he just kind of went off on his merry way, but just walked away. And I mean, it was just in another example of just, knowing that travel route, knowing where, you know, being on that outside of that thick cover. Uh, I even think back at home where on a flat bench, there's a couple pines and there's really not a lot or hemlocks. There's not a lot of those type of trees up on that mountain, especially on that face of the mountain. And I just, when you go in there postseason, it's all tore up, you know, mm-hmm. and that's just, it offers a different edge, a different terrain feature that these they'll will bed in and go to and, you set up on that and if they cross cross a little two track road into another little feeding area where it's a heavily beaten trail going to another destination of a thick area to a point on top of a ridge, you're in there. That's where my dad killed a buck last year. So it's like you, you got to figure out these, you know, those real thick, that's kind of, you know, my little rant about like, I love finding that different terrain features and, and that thick area where, you know, does like to go and, you know, kind of, hopefully puts you up in a good spot. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. Their gear is made by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen. Archery openers are just around the corner and Tacticam just released several new products to help you share your hunt and take your scouting to the next level. Topping the list is their 6.0 point of view camera, providing 4K footage in a user-friendly waterproof package. They've also just released the new Solo Extreme, giving you HD footage, 3 to 8x zoom, and one-touch operation that you've come to expect from your Tacticam point-of-view camera. Tacticam's lineup of cameras is supported by the best mounts and adapters on the market. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount, as well as their bendy clamp mount, to make sure my cameras don't miss any of the action. And last but not least, they just launched the Reveal X Pro. With no visible flash, built-in LCD screen, and built-in GPS tracking, 
the Reveal X Pro will help you take your scouting to the next level. You can learn more about these and Tacticam's entire line of products at Tacticam.com or RevealCellCam.com. This episode is also brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them, like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target, and you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you forget to correct the time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can get a free 30-day trial, and then when you're ready to buy, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show. You mentioned calling there. Does that play a big role in your strategy during the rut or not? Because I, I, I feel like there was a time when, you know, outdoor television basically was like, here's what you do. You go out, you grunt a couple times, you smash your horns together, and a big buck walks out and you shoot it. Like, it should be that easy, right? So that, does that play in for you guys with, with I mean, one, it low deer density, but two, uh, high hunting pressure, right? Like, PA has got crazy amounts of hunting pressure. What, what you go first because it's mixed for me, I guess. Yeah, I would, I would say on you know younger bucks, uh, it's it's gonna it's gonna work. Um, maybe fifty fifty on on the young, younger bucks. But what I've been seeing with more mature bucks is, yes, I've seen it work, um, and I've done it, uh, but a lot of times not to a shot opportunity where they're they I visually see them or they're just out of vision and I call, but every time I feel like they've kind of circled downwind and eventually kind of blew out before they've got in range. So, you know, I don't, I don't just depends on the, the mature and the, the age range of buck that you're hunting. Um, you know, the six points, the small basic eight, you know, possibly you're, you're probably at a 50, 50 chance that that's going to work if he's a very aggressive buck. Um, you know, I've seen them come right in, but then, you know, your bigger mature bucks, I, I just think that they know how to play that win and you're going to get caught almost all the time. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Jeremy? Yeah, kind of ditto. I mean, I've, I've used to blind call, especially back at home in Northeast PA where it's you know, low deer density, but it's also not heavily pressured in that area. Uh, man, you could, I've had opportunities where like a deer might come through again, kind of like what Dimitri said, it might be a younger buck and that would lead, it could have led to a shot opportunity, but you know, it, it was a younger buck or a non-legal buck. And, uh, when it comes to those bigger deer though, man, like even if I've seen them and kind of like what you were saying, when that one was doing Mach five, even, even if he's just kind of cruising, you know, I'd give a big growl at him and he doesn't give a crap. Like he just continues to go on his merry way. And, uh, I just, man, I've seen a, a biggest, my biggest buck on hoof kind of do that same thing. Like I saw him maybe 60, 70 yards, just working his way up a ridge on a snowy day of, you know, in, in November or during the rut. And, uh, I mean, he looked like a cow moving through the timber at that point in time. And I just gave the biggest grunt that I could and try to get him to stop. And he just kept going. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how he would have not heard me, you know what I mean? Type of ordeal. So, I mean, in all honesty, I don't even like, I bring it to bring it, I guess, but, but man, it's, I don't know. I really haven't had that great of success. Like I've like, as far as like shot opportunities, I, I think back to 2019 season, I had, I killed a buck like early November and I went out a couple more days later just to fill some doe tags. And I saw a buck kind of like cruising through uh, some open timber 
uh, where Dimitri and I usually hunt. He was a nice, what was he a 10 point? Decent little, like I say little because the, his time, like he didn't have real tall tines and stuff like that, but he was a nice 10 point. And I saw him like going through and I, I bleak called him. Like I did a, uh, a, a doe call and he came down, but again, came downwind and just like cruised around like nowhere near me where I could have gotten a shot. Mm, yeah. So it was just like interesting. Like he came in, he was going in a totally different direction. I got him to turn around, but he, I mean, I, I would have killed him with a rifle, but that's, you know, and that would have been a quick, that would have had to been a quick shot as well. Cause he just would kept, he wasn't, you know, stopping or anything along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys recently, uh, did an episode with Troy Pottinger, uh, yep. where you guys talked about scrapes and he hunts some really rugged terrain. I, I had, what's that? insane terrain. Yeah. Yeah. He's like talking about hunting at elevation. And I'm like, ah, that's, I'm checking out. Like, this is not, this is, we're not, we're not doing the same thing here. Um, but I, I haven't caught your episode yet. So I'm curious, you know, he's huge on, on scrapes specifically like community scrapes, right. Or what, what, whatever you want to call them. Um, what'd you guys, what'd you pick up? Like, as you listen to it, like, is there anything that you're like, man, this is, this is something I'm, I'm going to implement this year as we get into the pre-rut and the rut. Yeah. I would say, honestly, you know, in, in that, in that podcast, I've even said, you know, over the last couple of years, I've had really no little to no luck of making mock scrapes and, you know, and kind of not hunting scrapes at the right time, I guess, or, you know, a wrong time frame or opportunities. Uh, this pat last year was the first year where, especially back at home in Northeast Pennsylvania, that my dad and I, we did make some mock scrapes and we still kind of made them not to how I'm making them now. Like it was still kind of, I, I would, I would call them like middle schoolish, you know, compared to being like <laughs> at the, you know, collegiate, you know, uh, professional level, I guess that Pondra is doing it. But at that point in time, we were getting all kinds of young deer, does, bucks hitting these scrapes. And, uh, I, we would get them during the daytime. We would also get a lot of it at night, which, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's why I don't hunt scrapes because they only hit it at night. Uh, but man, it's, uh, over the last year, some I'd say now a year doing it, I've made a bunch of more, a bunch more mock scrapes. And, uh, during early October, man, if, if, uh, I knew how to get into a spot in the early morning without bumping deer out, like it could have happened, uh, like from October, you know, if we would have actually started maybe late September, I mean, I, you, you, we would have, we would have had opportunities for the first week and a half of October. And then, um, it's been a little bit quiet now, but, uh, we'll see. But the things that I picked up on is just, man, how authentic you really have to make it. Yeah. Now that is, the, that is the number one key thing. Like you could go buy a deer piss in a bottle and toss it in a, in the scrape and hope for the best. But like, if you're, those licking branches are not like looking like they've been chewed on tossed on either preorbitable or, uh, uh, I, we really like using the buck fever forehead gland, uh, spray. That's one thing that I've like, heck I've even used that and not even put anything in the dirt. I just ripped up dirt and just get that dirt smell going. Um, and man, when I like, it's, I know it sounds weird, but like when you get a, a buck to actually on photo or on video, like hitting that and their heads up and they're biting it and they're pissing in that, like that, it's such a cool thing. Cause you're like, all right. I did it right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's a whole thing. So, I mean, man, I'm still green. I, you know, we're still learning of how we could hunt them, I guess, uh, how better utilize them. Like I said, I'm really excited for, you know, we're recording this on the 19th. 
I'm really excited by the time Halloween comes around. Like we had, we just had a cold front come through. I would, I had awesome buck movement, but it was at like seven thirty, So it was past, past shooting light. I had a really nice buck that like he's, you know, we say now we don't have deer to target, but back at home I have a couple and that I would love. And he showed up about 1 AM. So, but that same buck a couple weeks ago was at four o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. You know what I mean? So, so it's, you know, it's not like he's only hitting that at night. So, but yeah, man, I, I would say just, you have to make it really authentic. I like learning a little bit about how, when you find one, like already a pre, you know, set scrape that a buck had. Like I love listening to Troy when he'll be like, I'll toss another one downwind. So he could be like, like a buck could be like, what in the hell? How did I not see this? Mm. You know, and to that a little bit. So it's, you know, that's another little cool thing that, you know, I, I got out of it because, you know, you, you see these scrapes that are maybe already made by the deer and they're taking it over. You'd maybe doctor it up a little bit, but then throw another one. Like how many times have you seen a, a TV show, I think back to Aaron, not a TV show, but like someone's video hunting. I think of Aaron Blyce's Ohio hunt last year, that bottom that he found, you know, scrape after scrape after scrape after scrape. So it's like, like there cannot be enough scrapes as long as you do it right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, so Troy loves to do that and, uh, of, of finding a good scrape and creating his own. So that way that buck could be like, what in the hell? Why is this here? And then that gets taken over and so forth and so forth. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to giving that one a listen. I when I saw it, I was like, man, that's a guy. So I, I guess it was maybe two years ago. I heard I heard him on a lot of different podcasts and stuff, and then I haven't heard anything from him for a while. And it doesn't mean that he hasn't been on podcasts. It's just I just yeah. haven't come across it. You know what I mean? So when I saw him pop up on yours, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go check this one out because I bet that's a I bet that's a good one because the dude kills some studs. Like, well, and the thing, the thing that I love about Troy is, you know, like we were just saying, he's hunting terrain that is just insane. He's dealing with, I mean, like we deal with hunters and we deal with like certain other an, animal, you know, uh, predators, but he's dealing with like grizzlies, wolves, and just <laughs> you know, all that type of stuff. <laughs> you know, like, you know, in it, like earlier on, he was saying, you know, there was a time earlier when we recorded, there was a wildfire going on. So he's like, I know right now, like my best hunting tree stand, one of them is, you know, consumed up by the fire. Oh, you know, it's just, goodness. so it's just like, he's dealing with so much more. And like you said, I mean, whether he kills a monster buck, but man, regardless, he's getting monster buck on camera in, you know, he, he's doing it year after year. And it's just, I have a lot of respect for him. And he's a teacher too. So it's like, we connect on that level of knowing that, you know, he's, doing it on the time frame that like I have the time, you know, and all that type of stuff. So it's just, yeah, he's very articulate with it. He's been doing it for a very long time. So, you know, if, if you were lo- learn wanting to learn about it, like how I was, man, there's no, no one better. I think to, 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 to lo- listen to watch and, and follow along than for when it comes to scrapes and Troy. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that he's getting it done on the time frame that you would, that you would have to, cause that's another thing. When I think of Troy, I think of, I think of efficient, like, yeah. I don't know how many time, times he sits a year, but I, I, is it his son that, that plays ball? Yeah, his son okay. plays football. Yeah, so yep. he, he's busy in the fall. He's got a lot of stuff going on. He doesn't have a lot of days to hunt, but he still yep. seems to pull one out of the mountains. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, dude, and some of these deer are just like, first off, you see you're like an Idaho deer, white tail <laughs> like that. I mean, it's just crazy, but I mean, it's it's so cool. And like I said, I have a ton of respect for him. And some of the things that he's taught me, like I said, just, I mean, he, it, it's just making that licking branch branch look so authentic 
Um, like I, the other day I we're a mock scrape that my dad and I made last year and I made one right next kind of to it just over the summer. And that old one is kind of like my dad got kind of just branches and like zip tied stuff. And like we dress it up and didn't make it really authentic. Like I said, very kindergarten ish. And then this summer, maybe eight yards away from that one, I made one like, you know, kind of like how Troy kind of teaches it. And it is just ripped to shreds, just completely wow. like you knew it was, there was, you could see the hooves in it. You could see where the branches are, are bitten off. And I didn't, we haven't, I haven't touched that or my dad ha- hasn't even touched that since July or August, one of the two. Wow. Wow. Yeah, man. So transitioning back now to kind of your specific setting and, and how you guys are hunting, you know, part of the common uh, jargon out there these days or some of the common sayings these days, you know, first sit, best sit. And I think that can be really, really true in a lot of different settings. But I, I always want to pick the brains of people who hunt low density areas or are hunting during the rut. So you guys, you know, going to be kind of a, uh, of the two things coming together here, low density area during the rut. Are you guys like giving a sit? Uh, let's say you've got, you know, perfect terrain feature, you're downwind of, of suspected doe bedding, uh, but maybe you don't know for sure that they're bedded in there today. Are you going to go in and hit it one time and say, oh, this place is dead, I'm out of here? Or are you going to give it a couple of days in a row thinking, you know, along the lines of bucks running circuits and that kind of thing in the big woods? Um. So I guess it depends, but, uh, typically my vacation is the last couple of years has been about four or five days. So, you know, I'm limited on time of, you know, that peak rut activity that I feel is going to be, um, high concentration of, you know, the bucks going really rapid and, and chasing those does. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say just one sit, um, but I wouldn't go more than maybe a day in a morning. You know, because yeah. if, if it's not happening in that time frame, um, you know, either I'm just going to, you know, waste all my time in that area or only get one other chance. So, you know, in this low deer density, I got to find where the action is. Um, so I'm going to bounce around uh, a couple of different areas because, you know, I, I kind of think about what Jeremy was talking about that one it, one year you know, we, we went on, it was a Thursday morning. We went into an area, we, we sat in the morning, um, saw one maybe legal buck, small buck chasing a doe. And that, that was kind of it for the morning. And then we kind of, we had a kind of situational of, of must've been a, a, a younger kid. We could hear her shooting like a 22 <laughs> or something around that area. So we, we kind of knew that area was going to be dead regardless. So we kind of backed out of there. Um, and, and we kind of transitioned into this other area. We kind of had game planned and we went in there and, you know, I was walking into the, around lunchtime into where the area I wanted to. And I saw a, a, a really nice shooter buck, um, you know, hanging out in a thicket with some does and before I could even get to the tree I wanted to. And, you know, that leading into that night, we just saw craziness. So obviously we knew that, that, that area was hot. So we kind of transitioned back into that the next day, which w- which would have, and, uh, um, a Friday. Um, and then we, we hunted that and all Friday we, we had a lot of action. I actually had a shot opportunity at a buck and, you know, um, things went wrong for me at that point, but, you know, and then we gave it a, another morning and, and didn't see much, but a couple does, you know, the the buck activity wasn't there anymore. Kind of like they almost transitioned out of the area. 
Um, so we packed up shop and then we, we moved on to a different area and I actually, you know, went to a different location and we similar hunted and, you know, picked up back on good rut sign. And we, we hunted that for another day or two until our kind of vacation was over. Um, you know, so maybe a day, day and a half and I'm going to kind of transition and, and move on. Yeah. I, w- I want to even ask Dimitri a question, like, cause we both said, like, I'm thinking the exact same, exactly what he said is what I'm thinking in my mind. And that, so let's just say that Friday we go out, we don't see anything. We're, you know, it's kind of like what Josh said, ghosted. And that next morning we go in that same area when it's set, when we say morning, especially during that time frame, when do you say like that cutoff time earlier morning or later morning? What do you think? Um, I'm probably hunting it till 10 30, 11 yeah. o'clock. And then I'm probably, probably moving on. Yeah. Cause I think back to like when we would see good early morning stuff, like it's like by nine o'clock, if something hasn't happened by that point in time, I don't know how many times where I've sat there until 1130, maybe noon. And you're like, yeah, this isn't happening. Like, mm, you know, you yeah. gotta get and, and make that move. So it's earlier than not. And so like, I would say if you have a full day, first light, maybe plus two and a half hours, like get down and either one scout to come up with a different game plan and kind of go from there. Because like, even when Dimitri was talking about that hunt that we were on, like just to kind of go on off of some things about, you know, we were saying we love hunting, especially doe bedding areas like morning, midday, but then if you need to transition into an area where, you know, deer are browsing or would browse to, as far as like food, like we said, we know we don't have necessary food sources, but that year nearby on public, there was a, um, a private, I mean, when I say nearby, it's still quite a ways, uh, where deer were traveling to and from. And we knew that just from other previous hunts earlier in the year. So I put myself in a position where I've, I need to meet in the freezer and I know it's the rut, but like there were lots of doe running around. Like I had a doe shot opportunity. I, I shot her and he and I quartered her out and we got her out of there and we went in the next morning. So it was like, we still saw a bunch of deer. So it was, um, you know, just another little tidbit to say like in the evenings, definitely like if you know of some food a little bit like transition and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I would say if that early morning, the earlier with no movement, the better to get down to hurry up and go find and, uh, you know, as, as fresh a sign as you can. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, I, w- I want to run a, a, a situation by you. Cause this is, this is exactly what happened to me last year. And I tagged out on a buck. Um, that was a smaller deer. Um, but that was all the action I was seeing. Right. So I went in there first morning, does and small bucks all over the place, chasing, grunting. I mean, just crazy rut show. Right. I go in the next morning. I had to leave midday to go uh, pick up my kids. Go in the next morning, same kind of action going on. Uh, smaller buck came through, gave me a perfect shot. It had been a tough season, and I was like, dude, you're coming home with me. And, uh, you know, uh, amazing hunt. Like, one of those that you go home, you're like, yeah, that was really satisfying. Had I sat there that second day seeing good activity but only smaller bucks, what would you guys do? Would you stick with that area and say, um, say hey, eventually a big one's going to come through here? Or are you going to leave that action to go try to find something more of the caliber that you're looking to shoot? And I'm asking you this because I hung a bunch of cameras in this area and I know what happened in the next few days. Man, I, for me, it, it's hard to leave deer to go find deer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say yeah. the same thing. I would probably sit it out 
until it got extremely cold. Um, and then I wanted, felt like I needed to move on. Like that action wasn't there. I'm, I'm a bad person to act because I'm not picky either. So <laughs> I would have been tagging out right there with you and I probably would have waited. So, yeah. 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 Well, man, it's, it's, it's so hard because man, I, I would say like, if you, if you know of a certain buck that you maybe got on camera, like October 23rd and you're hoping that sucker comes by again, you know, a couple weeks later by checking on does or something along those lines, I, man, even if a good buck that gets you excited at any point in time, man, you got to shoot. Like we're, I mean, I, we're not in the business of trying to hunt one fifties, one sixties. I mean, if we are one day, that means he and I own a land, piece of ground together and we're, <laughs> you know, we're hoping, hoping for the best like that. But until then, man, we're just, you can't eat the bone. I know that's so cliche to say, but we're, you know, we're also limited. Like Dimitri said, we only have four days, uh, you know, on a rutcation and that's including, Saturday, Sunday, when it's very, when everybody else is out, yep. you know, yep. it's not like we're taking Monday through Friday off and able to hunt Monday through Sunday on that Sunday hunting day, basically. So it's, man, you got to take what, what's given to you. And if, if, if it's still, you're still seeing dough, I mean, like, like Dimitri said, if, uh, and like I said, it's, it, I'm not leaving deer to go find deer. Yeah. So I shoot the buck, get them cleaned up, get them out of there and uh, throw up a bunch of cameras. Just like, I want to see what I'm missing, you know, while I'm not here. And in that area, from that stand that I was sitting, beginning on the 4th, there was a mature buck in daylight at some point during the day, every day from the 4th through the 12th, every single day. And, I mean, it just, I guess the top blew off, and it just went nuts in there. And it wasn't even necessarily the same buck. I think I got the same buck a couple of different times, but, but multiple mature bucks that, you know, I mean, I was hunting in Southern Wisconsin, which is like primo. I mean, you know, really nice deer running around. And, uh, so anyways, that, that has informed my, uh, rutcation timing a little bit this year. So last year I was dealing with a, with a limited schedule. I had a five day rutcation and I killed on day two, but this year I'm going for 14 days. So it's going to be, it's going to be insane. I'm pretty, uh, pretty jacked. What's that? Sounds like fun. Oh yeah. It's, it's going to be crazy. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I can get in there and get on one real quick. What do you guys think about all day sits? So we've talked a lot about, you know, maybe transitioning a little ways into the morning. If you haven't seen it or seen what you're looking for, we've also mentioned how good that midday can be. Are you guys hanging out all day in a spot or are you going to get down, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon and say, okay, it's time to shift to some, you know, traditional feeding areas or something like that. I think for me, traditionally I would sit all day, especially in that peak rut, um, time frame. But, you know, as, as I've grown as a hunter and, and listen to more podcasts, I, you know, I wonder if, if, if I should just, try to find a hot sign. Cause we, we kind of know when, when you, when you have that kind of that craziness going on, a lot of time it's, it's, you know, all day or, you know, most of the day. And, um, you know, so when you're not in it in the morning, you wonder, should I sit here? Is something just going to kind of click here in the afternoon that they go off? Well, maybe it is. Um, but a lot of times I'm kind of figuring out if it's cold in the morning and cold in that midday, I'm not really seeing a whole lot in the afternoon and you're kind of just sitting there. You know, if, 
if you do that over extended period and you're in a good pinch point, probably eventually, if you like to sit and, and want to wait, depending on your situation of where you're hunting in public or private, um, you know, but as, as I kind of grow as a hunter, I, I kind of feel like, you know, I want to move and, and then try to find where that action's at. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree because I mean, just a quick, give a quick rundown. Like we were saying two years ago in that area where I shot that doe during the rut and it was crazy. It was, you know, bucks were going nuts, falling over trees, tongues hanging out. We saw lots of does the next year, like that food source was not down in that area. So like doe were not betting there. So you could use quote unquote historical data and be like, well, last year around here, it was just bad shit crazy, you know? Yeah. So then yeah. you go, you go in there last year, if you weren't hunting now, luckily he and I were hunting that, occasionally during the year, during October. And we noticed like there were, n there was no movement. Whereas during that time frame the year prior, we would see a lot of, not a lot, but like good movement. And we sat what, maybe one day and it was like colder than cold. Like we just like, it. there was nothing, no sign, no fresh poop, no nothing. We're like, okay, write this off. Let's go to the next spot and, and, and go. So, I mean, uh, yeah. That's, that's kind of my little answer to that as well. I mean, unless it's kind of like what Dimitri said, if the only other time, if you're in it, the only time I'm going to get down is if you're just outside of it. Meaning if there's a trail 50, 60 yards away that they're continuously, you saw a bunch of doe in the morning go up or up and down, back and forth, whatever, you know, now being mobile in these saddle, like I could get up and down in 15 minutes quick, efficient and quietly. I'm moving closer to where that maybe a shot opportunity could happen. Like that's another way. I mean, if it is not, if it's cold, man, like Dimitri said, it, it, it'd be hard to sit kind of now, nowadays, like all day, just with more learning and scouting. Like I would rather put boots on the ground and maybe try to find something rather than hoping for something to happen. Yeah. I, I'm right there with you. Like I, I'm at the point where I would almost rather, just get down and learn something. You know what yeah. I mean? What, whatever that is, like whatever it is that I learn, I would rather walk away with a lesson than try to sit that spot and, and hope something, something comes yeah. by. Now, might I kill a deer if I sit there and hope? Yeah, sure. But you know, I feel like if I get down and I learn something through scouting or whatever it is, then I'm going to take that with me into next season and the next and be yeah. a better hunter for it. Well, and I think, uh, what we've been doing too, which we haven't in the past is running our trail cameras throughout that yeah. whole archery season. And, and which we typically didn't do that just because we were afraid of getting them stolen. And, um, and you know, we were missing a lot of the game and I think you can learn like kind of how you did is, is, is figure out when those mature bucks are daylighting, right? And, you know, are you going to always guess it right? And is it going to be perfectly that day every year? No, but each sit, you're going to put yourself in a good position um, to have that success and have a more calculated plan coming up into the, your rut season because you're going to know if you see a lot of daylight bucks, well, there's probably a hotter doe in that area at that time frame. You don't actually have to see the, the doe being chased by the buck to know that if they're kind yeah. of hitting those scrapes or the trail that you have it on. So you can kind of formulate that game plan, kind of like we said at the beginning of the podcast, well, you know, 30 minutes away, there might be genetically does going into heat differently than, you know, over here and same versus 30 minutes, the opposite way. So you can kind of 
have that year to year inventory to make those calculated moves. And that's what I've kind of, kind of a numbers guy too. So like, I kind of like finance and, and numbers. So, you know, I'm always thinking of analytics and, and trying to figure out what the best calculated move of where to be. And I think you need to use gut feeling too, but you know, you can kind of, if you only have four or five days, you got to make it count. Right. And, yeah. and yeah. using that historical data and things that you've seen during, during the season pre-rut and into the rut. And then, kind of adding all this together and then what you're seeing at the current moment, you're going to be able to make the best decision for you. Like someone can't tell you how to do that in your area. You have to kind of take that advice and and apply it to yourself and then kind of come up with your own formula of what you're seeing um, to be successful. Yeah. So last question for you guys. I want to, I want to paint the scenario here. You get one day to hunt during the rut this year, you get one day and you get one stand location. You don't get to pre-scout. You've simply got to pick, uh, your ideal spot, like whatever spot you're dreaming up in your mind is like the spot where you're going to kill something. And the day that you're going to do it, what's the day and what's the spot. So for me, it would be November. This would be, oh man, one day I'm going November 10th. So which would be, be a Wednesday, but I'd have to call off sick that day. Um, and it, it's going to be right off the, a point where it drops down to a flat bench, kind of like what I said earlier. And it, there's just a thick, thick, nasty cover, uh, and set up on the outside of it, hopefully find a scrape and, uh, right off on the outside of it. Cause when that buck is done breeding that doe, he's going to come on that trail or, not on that trail, but he's going to come work his way to that scrape, check it and, uh, or another buck's going to come cruise through that area and hopefully I'll have a shot. But November 10th, uh, man, that would be my ideal. Just where all those terrain features, multiple things come together, that thick cover, you have just different food sources between the brows and the acorns. And, uh, the wind too is kind of like at the buck's advantage, but it's also at my advantage as well a little bit like, you know, he could, he could see danger ahead of him, but I'm coming in from a whole different spot basically. And he smell, his smell would not, my, my scent wouldn't get to him. So yeah, I don't know that it's right where that thick nastiest cover is on that outside on that bench. And it's funneling right to that. You know, their only way to get to me is like working its way around through, uh, that thick stuff. Nice. What about you, Dimitri? I would say November 12th. Um, I would say that's probably my best historical day, um, later in the rut period. And I would be hunting, um, the first bench off of a ridge, uh, in some thick, nasty cover. So, you know, in some bedding area, um, that's where I killed my buck last year. I, that's where I had some, a lot of action the year before. Um, and that's where, that's where I would be if I had to pick one spot. And I would try to kind of find like a, you know, on that ridge too, like we talked about big woods and, and, and especially when we hear, heard all of that kind of that information from the Midwest, we heard pinch point, right. You know, yeah, and that was the yeah. biggest thing I struggled with is, you know, hunting the big woods. I'm like, what's a pinch point? You know, you have, <laughs> you have, bridges, you have tickets, you have, you know, benches and, and, um, bottoms. And I'm like, what, what is a pinch point in the big woods, you know, but, 
you can find those spots. And as I'm looking and being more observant, um, you know, it might not be super obvious, um, but you can find, you know, maybe it's a small rock formation that kind of just kind of blocks, or it could even just be tops or blowdowns that they kind of have to funnel through or, you know, they, you're kind of lazy too. They, they don't like walking through, you know, over top of blowdowns and, and, um, they're going to take a, a little easier of a path too. So, you know, I, that's what I kind of found where I killed my buck. I found a couple rock, you know, formations that were only kind of two or three feet off the ground, but it kind of funneled deer through this one specific spot in the ridge when they came up over, um, into the thicket. So, you know, try to kind of be observant when you're out there and, and try to kind of look for some of these, um, areas and, and that's where the deer are going to kind of funnel to. Yeah. And that, to build on that, that's where boots on the ground actually being in the woods, because you're not going to see that on a map. You're not going to see that on Onyx, Smart Forge, on stand, whatever. So you have to, like Dimitri said, like that's something where a light bulb needs to go off while you're in the timber. Uh, you know, that's, something that like multiple spots that like Dimitri just said you know things go off in your head you're like oh there's that's how why that deer has to move around because that is a huge rock you know area covering 30 yards where it's just boulders and all that type of stuff so yeah it's just things you gotta you know obviously put boots on the ground and be in the woods to, to see and, and mark and you know Dimitri's had done a phenomenal job doing that the last two seasons excellent excellent well guys now uh, every bench with thick nasty stuff on it in pennsylvania is going to be covered on november 10th through 11th or 12th uh so sorry for flooding all of your favorite spots but uh where can guys go if they want to hear more from you keep up with your season all that good stuff uh check out www.antlerupoutdoors.com obviously we have a facebook page instagram go wild uh, and check out Sportsman's Nation. We have our information's there as well. So, yeah, it's just, I mean, just type in Antler Up Outdoors. You can find Demetri and I, Jim and, and Mike, and uh, our two buddies. One's in New York. One's over in uh, eastern part of Pennsylvania outside of Lehigh Valley area. So we just, uh, man, we love hunting. We love doing what we just did, talk hunting, and, uh, you know, give us a look and, and a follow, and, you know, hopefully you enjoy what you hear. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. That's all for this week's episode. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. If you would, please go leave me a five-star review. I'd be very appreciative. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me if you're looking to ask a question, give a comment, or uh, you know, tell me about some topics or guests that you would like to hear from. Uh, also, big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Deer Lab. Please go support the brands that support this show. If you're looking for more outdoor-themed content, head over to thesportsmansempire.com where you'll find this podcast, my other podcasts, The Wisconsin Sportsman, and a whole slew of other relevant outdoor content.